Father, we do just lift up your name. You are holy. You are so faithful, even when we're not faithful. And we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you look at us and see us and want to be a part of our life. And we thank you that you sent your son to go through through what he went through in order to make that a reality. You're an amazing God, and we love you. We want more of you in our lives and less of ourselves. And Father, as we look at your word and we look at that, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. You would reveal yourself to us. We'd see you clearer. We'd want to go deeper with you. I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds. We give you this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we judge a successful life? What is a successful life? If we look at a life, what's the criteria to say, well, that's a successful life? Or how about even a church? What do we look at and say, well, that's a successful church? What makes a life successful or what makes a church successful? I think the way we answer that question is very important because the way we answer that question is going to be the target we're trying to hit. It's going to be what we're aiming at. It's going to be what we're trying to achieve in our life. Like, for example, if I believe A, B, or C is success in life or in ministry, what am I going to be trying to accomplish? A, B, or C. But what if A, B, or C is wrong and success really is X, Y, and Z? I'm trying to accomplish the wrong thing. You see the importance in that? So again, what makes a life successful? Or what makes a church successful? Well, tonight we're going to look at a part of scripture where Jesus answers that question for us. And we're going to see Jesus is going to tell us what makes a life successful and what doesn't make a life successful and who should get to define that in our lives. So we're going to pick it up in verse 21. And right here, we're in the middle of a conversation. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, he just got done revealing to them that he is the Messiah. Right after that, he told them all about the church, who was going to build the church, who was going to protect the church, who was going to provide for the church, all of those things. So we're right in the middle of that conversation. In verse 21, Jesus says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third Day. Now, I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but if you do, underline that word must. Jesus must go to Jerusalem to die and to rise from the dead. It was a necessity. It had to happen. Do you understand? If Jesus didn't go to the cross and die, we have absolutely nothing. We don't have forgiveness of our sins. We don't have eternity in heaven. We don't have the grace of God in our lives, and we are still dead in our sins. It was a must for Jesus Christ to go to the cross and die and to be raised from the dead. But what's crazy is a lot of people 
Even Bible, Bible scholars will say that, well, the crucifixion was just an accident that God used for good, that it wasn't really God's plan A for salvation. And they'll say things like, God's original plan for salvation was just to put Adam and Eve in the garden and let them live, and that's how they were going to live forever. But then Eve did what she did, then Adam did what he did, and that messed all that up. So God said, that didn't work, so I know what I'll do. I'll send a flood. I'll wipe them all out, and I'll give Noah a shot. Well, that didn't work. So God's like, well, then I'll do this. I'll send them the Ten Commandments. I'll tell them how I want them to live. And then that'll be the way for them to work for their salvation. Well, that didn't work. Then God was like, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll send Jesus and he'll go and he'll live the perfect life for them and he'll die for their sins. Listen, we need to understand. The crucifixion was always and only God's plan for salvation. There never was another plan than that. Listen to how Peter puts it. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 1. This is verse 18 through 20. Peter says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And check this out. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed to you for your sake. It has always been God's only plan for salvation was Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying. And that's it. Period. Long before the world ever began, the Godhead was together. And they came with the idea, this is how salvation is going to work. It's going to work by Jesus going to the cross, living a perfect life, dying for our sins, and raising from the dead. And listen, it's so important that we know that, we understand that, and that we believe that. Because if Jesus going to the cross was God's plan B or plan C, you know what that shows us? That God isn't in ultimate control. And if God isn't in control of something that important, what else isn't he in control of? But it was always God's plan. God is in total control. Things never got out of hand with Jesus going to the cross. That's exactly what God wanted to happen. The crucifixion of Jesus is also another way for God to show us a couple things about ourselves. It was a way for God to show us who we really are and to show who he really is at the same time. Listen to how David Guzik said it. While his death was the ultimate example of man's sin against God, because that's what we deserved. What Jesus went through, that's what we deserve because of our sin. While his death was the ultimate example of man's sin against God, it was also the ultimate example of God's love towards man. At the same time, God showed us how wicked and depraved, how empty we are, yet how loving and gracious and forgiving he is. The crucifixion was a must. So now Jesus says all that, and now look how Peter responds. Look at verse 22. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, this is crazy. But if you know Peter, can't you just picture him sitting there, his arms crossed, listening to Jesus say all this, I'm going to go die, and shaking his head, no, 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 no. And then when Jesus is done saying, Jesus, come here, we got to talk. Can't you just picture Peter saying that? But Peter's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. You're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to die for your sins. But what's crazy is in the same exact conversation, probably not even less than two minutes ago, Peter just called Jesus the Messiah. 
the one from God, actually God in flesh, the one came to save us from our sins. You are God. You are the Messiah. And then two minutes later, Peter says, but your plan is wrong. How crazy is that? But listen, before we get too high on our high horse, but don't we do the exact same thing? We might not pull Jesus aside and we might not rebuke him, but do we ever disagree with the things God allows to happen in our life or, to, or our loved one's life? That's exactly what Peter was doing here. Do we ever say to ourselves, you know what, God? If you would just listen to me, things would go so much better. Do we ever say that? That's exactly what Peter is doing here, right? And look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Wow. How'd you like to hear that? You know, you know you're having a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan, right? And what's crazy is if you think about it, just two minutes later, Jesus called Peter the rock, and now here he calls him Satan. You're an offense to me. And what's sad is Peter was sincere. He really thought, you know what, Jesus, if you just listen to me, things will go a lot better for all of us. Peter was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And how was Peter wrong? Well, first off, he wanted a life without the death and resurrection of Jesus. He wanted a life without that. And that's exactly what Satan tried to tempt Jesus with, and that's why he called him Satan. And also, I don't know if you knew it or not, but Peter contradicted the word of God. In the Old Testament, it talks about a suffering Savior, about us being healed by our, our Messiah's stripes, by him being hurt for us, by him being wounded so we could be healed, so we could be made right. A Messiah that's going to be cut off, a Messiah that's going to be killed. The Old Testament predicted that. And Peter was contradicting that. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. The ESV puts it this way. You are a hindrance to me. Peter, you're actually in the way of what I want to accomplish. Peter, you're actually working for the devil. Wow. And you know what? If we base our life on something else other than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if we contradict the word of God, Guess what? Jesus would say the same exact thing to us. Get behind me. You're an offense to me. And in the same as that conversation, Jesus is talking about the church. If we have churches that are built on anything else other than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a church that is a church for Satan. If we have a church that contradicts the word of God, we have a church for Satan. And what's crazy is to think about how many churches are out there, even in our town, even in Bisbee, that do this exact same thing. It's sad, and it's crazy. But look what Jesus says next. In verse 23, he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter, you have your mind set on the wrong things. Peter, you're thinking of earthly things, not heavenly things. Or we can say it this way. Peter, you have the wrong idea of what success is. Peter, you have a man's idea of success. You need God's idea of success. Peter, you have a vertical idea of success. You need a horizontal idea of success. And what was Peter's idea of success right here? Well, Peter wanted Jesus to go to Jerusalem and kick out Rome, who they were over Jerusalem at that time. And they wanted Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom there and then. 
And he wanted Peter and his disciples to have important, prominent positions within Jesus' leadership. Success for Peter was Peter and the disciples being big shots in this new kingdom to come. They wanted to be important. They wanted to have power. Now, what was God's idea of success? Jesus going to Jerusalem, being turned over to the chief priest and to the elders, dying for, dying for the sins of the world, and not only that, sending out the disciples to go out and to preach this gospel and to ultimately end up dying for preaching the gospel. That was God's idea of success, totally different than Peter's idea of success. What about in our world today? What is the world's idea of success? Or what is man's idea of success? Power, greed, money, importance, influence, prominence, luxury, comfort, sex, all those things that we see being pushed into our face, all these things that we see the world telling us, you need to get these things in your life. If you have these things in your life, you will be successful. But what's crazy is at the root of all of those things is self. It's self. Self-satisfaction, self-happiness, self-contentment, self-promotion, at the root of the world's idea of success is self. The world's idea of success, success could be summed up in one word, and that is self. How do I better myself? How do I make my life better? How do I make my life easier? How do I make my life more convenient? Me, me, me. It's crazy. Pastor Ron came down a couple weeks ago for the men's conference. And at it, he said, if you look at the word self in the dictionary, you will see pages and pages and pages of words that come after the word self. We are a self-consumed culture. But now, what is God's idea of success? Look at verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Wow. God says my idea of a successful life is totally different than the world's idea of a successful life. And God's idea of a successful life is a life that denies itself. That says no to building self. No to all those things that the world says that we need. Someone who denies themselves says no to all of those things. And on top of that, a successful life, according to God, is a life that takes up this cross and follows Jesus. Now, back then, when you took up your cross, it meant one thing only, that you were going to die. And Jesus is saying here, a successful life, according to God, is a life that is willing to put nothing in front of God. Nothing is more important than God. I will even face death for God. Now, we live in a different age, in a different culture, and most of us in this room probably aren't going to face being put to death for our faith. But we could still die to a couple other things. We can die to self. We could die to the desire to be something big, to be something special, to be something powerful. We could die to that. We could even be willing to die socially. Listen, we live in a day and age where it's not too popular to have a biblical worldview. It's not too popular to, to believe what the Bible says. Are we willing to stand up for truth? Are we willing to go through being called names? Are we willing to go through not being cool? 
Are we willing to go through from being canceled to stand up for what is right? Are we willing to take our cross and die socially if that's what it costs us to stand up for truth? Because that's a successful life according to God. And on top of that, a successful life according to God is a life that follows Jesus. A life that looks like Jesus' life. And look at Jesus' life. What was the main focus of Jesus' life? To bring honor and glory to God. Think about all the things that Jesus did. All the miracles, all the teachings, all the... Think about how much glory and honor he could have brought to himself. Think about all the attention and prominence and influence he could have had for himself. Yet what did he do? He made sure to give all of that to the Father. He made sure to point all of that stuff towards God. And that's a successful life according to God. And also, what else was Jesus consumed with? Blessing other people. Everything Jesus did was for the betterment of the people around him. Everything he did was to bless them, was to heal them, was to teach them, was to instruct them. It was all about other people. So what is a successful life according to God? A life that is built on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A life that does not contradict the word of God. A life that denies itself. A life that takes up its cross and is willing to go through whatever it needs to go through to stand up for what is right and a life that lives to honor God and to be a blessing to the people around him. That is a successful life according to God. Now, why is all this so important? Why is it so important that we make sure we're aiming at the right target, that we're trying to live a successful life according to God? Why is all that such a big deal? Because look at verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The reason why it's so important is because a life that is consumed with self is a life that is apart from Christ. And a life that is apart from Christ has forfeited their soul. And a soul that has been forfeited, that person is responsible to pay for their own sins. Now, I do want to say a couple things. Every single one of us battle this thing called self. It's all around us. We all battle this thing, this self-monster we have, this me-monster we have inside of us. There is a huge difference, though, between struggling with self and being consumed with self. Those who struggle with self are those who are aware of their battle with self, and it breaks their heart when they give in. It crushes them. They are broken about losing this battle to self, and they ask God to forgive them, and they ask God for the power to turn from that sin and to not repeat it. That is those who struggle with self. Those who are consumed with self are those who know their desire to build self, but don't care. It means nothing to them. They're willing to pay whatever they need to pay in order to build themselves up, in order to accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish. They're willing to do whatever it's going to cost them to achieve their idea of success. There's a huge difference between struggling and being consumed with self. And I also want to say this too. Listen, just because you might have some of the things that the world calls successful, maybe God has blessed you with with, with a great job. Uh, Maybe you are a very important person. Maybe you you do have a lot of influence. 
That doesn't mean you're consumed with self or you're losing the battle to self. It's what's in your heart that matters. Because you can have all of those things that the world says is successful, but as long as you're trying to honor God and to live God, live for God in those things, that's okay. Praise God that he's blessed you that way and use those things to honor and build God's kingdom. In the same way, you could have none of the things that the world says is successful and at the same time be consumed by those things. It drives you, it motivates you. I want these things. Those are the people Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus turns to these people in verse 25 and says, now what? So let's say that you achieved what you were trying to achieve and you lived a very successful life according to the world. Let's say you are a very rich person. You are a very important person. You're powerful. You have a lot of followers on Instagram. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be. Jesus says, now what? Was it worth it? Really? In the big scheme of heaven and hell and eternity, was it really worth forfeiting your soul to get this little bit of things that you thought was success? And what's crazy and what's sad is these things that the world tells us is success, none of those things, none of those things are going to satisfy us. Happiness is not found in those things. Happiness is found in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ says, well, now what? You did it. Now what are you going to do? And then look what he says next in verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Jesus Christ is coming back a second time. And when he does, he is going to pay each person back for the work that they have done, both good and bad. For those people who are consumed with self, who are apart from Christ, who have forfeited their soul, what that means for you being rewarded for what you have done, it means you are now responsible to pay for your own sins. And I guarantee you, in those moments when you're standing face to face with God, the very last thing that's going to be on your mind is how successful was I in this world? Now, for those of you or us who are in Christ, Jesus Christ coming back and rewarding us for our works, what that means for us is in those moments where we're standing across God and in those times where we fought the battle against self and we lost, Jesus Christ is going to forgive you. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died so you could be forgiven of all of those sins. And in those times where we fought self and we won, God is going to reward you for those things. Wow, that's a huge Huge difference, right? So, if you're in here and you have been someone who has been consumed with self and God's been speaking to your heart tonight, I want you to understand something. You can turn around right now, right where you're at. All you have to do is admit to God that you're a sinner, ask him to forgive you, and make a decision to follow him. And then he'll also give you the power to do battle with self. And listen, if that is you, I want to encourage you to do that right now. And I also want to encourage you to make your way over to the prayer room after service and speak to the people over there, and they can give you more information on this. But for the rest of us, what are we living for? What is success in our life? We have the world's idea of success, self, and we have God's idea of success, dying to self, living for God, and living to be a blessing to others. What is our idea of success? What are we aiming at? Do you see the importance? 
Listen to another way Jesus put it. He says the same thing, but this is in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus says this. Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, You know that the ruler of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercised authority over them. In other words, uh, these people, they were trying to get to a place where they had people to serve them. Their idea of a, of a successful life was getting to a place where they had people serve them. But look what Jesus says in verse 26. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you or whoever wants to be successful according to God must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first I'm sorry, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A successful life isn't getting to a place where yet people serve you. A successful life, according to God, is getting to a place where you can serve other people. And what does this look like for you practically in your life, in your home? at work, in your church? What does it look like for you to live a successful life according to God? That's the life we're called to live. That's the life we should be aiming at. And I know it's hard, guys. I know it's hard, trust me. We live in a consumeristic world and we see all these things being pushed upon us and it, it's difficult. We see people living for self and they're really good at it and like, man, I would really like some of that in my life. I get it, it's hard. But something that helps is to remind ourselves who the world really is or what the world really is and who God really is and compare the two. Look at the world. The world is an ugly, mean, nasty, unforgiving place. Look at God. Look at his mercy. Look at his grace. Look at his kindness. The world wants to take from us. God literally gave himself up for us. Which one honestly wants the best for us? God or the world? God does. Let's follow him. Something else that helps too is to compare ourselves to God. If you're anything like me, look at yourself. I look at myself and sometimes, honestly, I just get disgusted at some of the things I, I do, some of the things I think. I am a, a, a broken man saved by the grace of God, but I have some wicked things going on inside of me. And look at God. Perfect, holy, blameless. Which one of us two deserves to be platformed or deserves to be made a big deal? It's not me. It's not me. Let's die to self and let's live to honor God and let's live to be a blessing to the people around us. That's a successful life according to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy. Oh, Lord, we need more of you. Amen. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would see the world for what it is and we would see you for who you really are. We would see through the lies of the world, the, the lies that the world tells us that we need these things. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to see through those and we'd be able to see you and your promises of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And we would seek those things. Father, I pray for all of us at home, at work, in our churches. Lord, we want to bring honor and glory to you.
We want to be a blessing to the people around us. Lord, more of you and less of us. Lord, we are here simply because of you. We are here solely because of you. Take our lives. Use them. Your glory. Your kingdom. Father, you are great. You are worthy. And you are holy. And we are so thankful that we are your people. We love you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.